Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I have Vadim Peskov. He is the CEO and founder, co-founder of Difco. Difco does outsourcing, but they are a dev shop. Uh, they focus on IT software development. Uh, and in this podcast, we really deep dive into really the differences of a dev shop versus an agency versus a staffing solution. And it's a, it's a gray area, which I actually really sort of find value in exploring exactly the differences between these different models. We also talk at length about AI. Of course, that is the topic that is on everyone's mind at the moment, especially in outsourcing. People are wondering whether it's going to cause the end of outsourcing and whether it's going to cause job losses and things like this. So we discuss AI a little bit more in the sort of technical aspect of how to build it out and develop it. But a, overall, a really, really interesting conversation with Vadim. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or are somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms, representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish inside outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. Vadim, we are going to talk about AI today. It seems that everyone is talking about AI. So, you know, I don't want to be left out in the cold there. And of course, AI is, uh, there's a lot of talk, whether it's going to destroy the entire outsourcing industry, whether it's going to revolutionize coding development, computer work, and whether it even could revolutionize work itself. So we can talk about all of that. But before we go into that, um, you fundamentally are one of us. You're an outsourcer. You provide staffing services, um, leveraging the global workforce. So let's start there, and then we'll sort of loop around into this far more exciting and dynamic futuristic AI. So Vadim, tell us about Difco and uh, what you're doing with that. Yeah, uh, I think AI will do both to be exact. So I think it could destroy the world, but I really hope it well, will 
create a lot of good. Uh, anyway, so the quick note about the company. So Divka is a, a company that doing a different software development projects uh, for last 15 years. Actually, this week we we hit this 15 year mark. Uh, initially, we started as a web development a long time ago and was focusing on this. But uh, after a move to a lot of enterprise development, uh, as well as mobile side, and for the last six years, we was really pushing uh, a lot of things in the computer vision and also in uh, uh, general um, uh, transformers models that now is called. So it's everything that uh, machine learning related. So we pushing this uh, into direction, providing this as a service, and as well as uh, building some internal tools using this and expediting uh, the development process using different AI uh, and uh, different ML processes. Got it. Thank you. So again, just sticking to the sort of staffing outsourcing aspect there before we head into AI, even though, you know, it is, it's exciting to sort of talk about the, the new shiny thing, but in, in that explanation, you sort of touched on a few things, which I'd like to kind of clarify. First, you started off, this is diff going, congratulations, by the way, on your 15th um, anniversary. It really is an incredible feat, you know, for businesses to survive more than one year. So, you know, you've really made it into uh, adulthood and especially in the, in, the, in the tech environment. So congratulations. Um, you said you started with web development. Um, and then I believe you also do staffing services in terms of sort of staff augmentation. You do project work. And then it sounds with AI, you're sort of embarking on your own projects as well in terms of, you know, building your own internal capabilities. As a business, are you able to sort of, how do all of those, they're quite different threads. And, you know, how does sort of a web dev shop uh, kind of align with staffing services and then doing project work and then doing your own projects? You know, how, how do you sort of um, prioritize those? How do you focus on which ones? Do you know what I'm, do you know what I'm getting at there? Oh, yeah. Uh, I think um, initially it started in a different direction uh, and as market evolved and also we evolved to be honest, uh, a lot of things changed basically. Yeah. So when we started uh, this business in 2008, it was completely different market and uh, different needs were there. And I think any successful outsourcing business need to evolve to the current ask of the market. You cannot just like leave into whatever services you provided five years ago, or even a year ago. A lot of things change and a lot of requirements changing in real life. So clients really asking for the things that are not necessary was there before. And uh, a lot of hypes happens and a lot of need for the specific type of services. And uh, the key here is to really anticipate this idea, anticipate which technology will be needed tomorrow so you can staff for this technology in a correct way and really push forward uh, these needs mm. for the clients. Because when, um, I mean, you can definitely ride the wave on the markets and when everything in a hype, but really uh, the best thing that you can do in terms of like any kind of like staff, you know, any kind of project based as well, is really when you see the opportunity beforehand. It's like, okay, so when this released, you need to double down on this and mm. do it now, not in the six months when it's 
where like everyone knows Larry, you're like, oh, okay, let's let's have this in our portfolio. So it's you need to ideally do this beforehand, and it's uh, this hype cycles is typically like uh, they really like a year, sometimes one half year, long process. But but to to sort of you know there are there are cycles. There's you know points of interest, and of course the world evolves. But in terms of underlying business models, um, using AI as an example, a business could adopt different business models in relation to this, you know, crazy trend of AI. One uh, model would be that it could take an agency approach in that it does projects on behalf of clients sorting out AI needs for their business. Another approach, completely different approach in some respects, is to provide AI-enabled staff that work full-time in a staff augmentation capacity alongside clients' development teams, but they're full-time allocated. So that's more of a staffing thing within the AI field. A third business model would be that you, as an agency, you have some bright ideas and you start building out an AI product yourself with your staff. You take on the costs yourself, but then you launch that product and you're effectively selling a, you know, a, a packaged product or a, a, a SaaS. So you see, you know, even with AI, there's different approaches to the business model within your business. How do you sort of say, well, you know, this is the optimal for us. We're gonna do one of these, or do you generally approach AI or these new things with, you know, let's offer all three or, or you know, every option available. So I think uh, you're absolutely right. So first of all, so it's different models are, uh, and um, in reality, in AI, I think uh, at least now, different things will work better for different clients. So let's talk about staffing uh, for a minute. So um, staffing AI is the most challenging, I think now, because if you're looking for really robust uh, experts that can really do things. I mean, real data scientists, um, real um, ML engineers, and um, people that really have a high qualification. I'm not talking about the people that just doing that labeling or something like this. Yeah, yeah. They're, and it, they're in short supply, high demand. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're trying to play with this type of folks, it's really challenging to outstaff them specifically and provide any kind of like staff augmentation models. For one specific reason, these folks really, they decide in what they want to do, not you helping them to find a product. So it's a little bit different playbook. So, and maybe the project approach as we see today work a little bit better just because we can combine uh, and have this team in house and still charge a good premium for the actual results and having this not just as an hourly rate, having this as a specifically different approach where we taking um, some success fees or different type of fees that not specifically um, collaborated with it like, hey, we spent like 10 hours, here's a bill for 10 hours. So it's a little bit different because uh, the results also could be different for um, specifics of the task yeah and the value that uh, this task create could be millions of dollars but they spent maybe a couple of weeks doing this should you charge for a um, couple of weeks of work or should you charge differently so 
this is why I think this is where opportunity to play the project-based approach really shines. Uh, and a lot of uh, work there uh, that's specifically into not like uh, uh, maybe um, the actual um, high-skilled uh, workers, basically. You can put maybe some folks that, uh, for example, the product uh, uh, guys maybe, or specifically uh, uh, people who do different data cleaning, uh, data labeling, uh, all this kind of stuff, um, you really can um, put this in outsourcing uh, and outstaffing models. This right. is where I think it could be the best approach. So mixing two is a key to success actually here. Right. So different sectors have ideal business models, I assume then. Uh, and, you know, you, you're not at, you're not interested in creating your own products. Um, it, it's more just finding the staffing solution that suits, whether it's kind of project-based, um, whether it's agency-based, or whether it's sort of outsourcing staff augmentation. Yeah. So we can mix this, and sometimes we will invest or we will work together with a client. Uh, and also it depends on a client because, again, we can provide and assemble a team for them that will be uh, full of uh, an actual uh, data scientists, uh, AI researchers, um, ML engineers, etc. But it could become a really expensive team. And only if we work in, let's say, with uh, big enterprises, etc., can actually afford this kind of game. Uh, but in many cases, it will be challenging for a small uh, startup or mid-sized businesses even to play this game. Also, just because of the cost of actual like creating your own models and uh, learning uh, based on the uh, customer data and all these kind of things. Mm -hmm. So in most cases, again, it's a playbook uh, where we will mix different models. So this why it's not just one straightforward, because we sometimes can see something that uh, we'll be able to utilize not only for our um, sake, but also for our clients. And I, I know a uh, staff augmentation place down in Cebu in the Philippines. They focus only on developers. Um, he has a very strict rule that he doesn't actually work with generalist businesses. He will only deploy teams into tech companies or companies that already have very established tech teams and processes and architects and product managers. Because, you know, if you put a really sort of crazy technical team into kind of a plumbing business, there won't be anywhere for them. Do you find that when you're deploying technology, teams, projects, that if the company is not sort of sophisticated enough, then the, the stuff you're doing, it will just sort of land and won't get absorbed? Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> uh, my uh, mod. I, I think it's probably my, uh, one of the favorite topic for me. Uh, thanks for asking. So, yeah, here's what we call professional, not professional clients. So this is where we see this a little bit uh, in the same way. So it's like when we're talking about any kind of like professional client, so basically any kind of like technical team enabled client, yeah? So this is completely different playbook to work with them. So they actually understand your language. They really understand what you're doing. They understand sprints. They understand how bugs works and like, Everything, basically. So it's much simpler conversation uh, with uh, tech 
businesses, I'm assuming. But again, uh, it's not always the case where we have those. Uh, and uh, I understand the idea that uh, your friend have, and I think it's make total sense. Uh, and I think right now we have like 65% approximately uh, tech businesses. But we do have uh, someone that not really uh, only tech uh, side business, so they actually do something else. And this is could be uh, big enterprise companies or mid-sized enterprise company. And they have small technical teams, I would say, maybe like 10, 15 people, and they maybe 5,000 people company. And this is a little bit different um, format to work with these folks. So I would typically, again, um, would love if they have actual product people. Um, and the same is like working with a startup. It's the same playbook basically applies. So this is the best if you have the uh, technical capabilities already uh, inside of the client. So any kind of like product or uh, development type of resources. But I think it's possible to work with a different side of the coin. And you can definitely do this. You just need to approach this correctly. And you need to have a team that's capable of doing this communication correctly. Because in most cases, if you don't do this right, this fails. Because I had so many examples of the clients coming to us and saying like, hey, we had a developer team. They, uh, they're good developers, but they don't understand what we're asking them to do. They don't really follow what they what we're asking. So it's like they all they follow just exactly what we ask them to do. They don't really provide any kind of business advice. So they're not looking to mm. improve any kind of business side. So this is where we will have the our communication with the client and really establish the business goals first. And after we will dive into any kind of technical needs. Because in most cases it's not about technology. It's more about an actual like need for the business and understanding, oh, you need actually to do this, how we can get to this using technology and not like, hey, we use this technology, how we can achieve whatever results. Yeah, that that's how sort of everything bleeds into every other part of a business, isn't it? And in order to build a project, you know, a, something tech, you need really good architecture at the beginning. You really need to understand what needs to be built. And to understand that, you really need to understand every other aspect of the business and, and not what tech needs to be built, but what objective they actually want to achieve, achieve as a result of the tech. So then it gets complicated, doesn't it? You know, firstly, you were brought in to do a project, but then you're kind of having to reach over into every other part of the business and say, well, you know, if you want us to build this, we really have to understand this and manipulate this. And it becomes sort of infinitely bigger than the original, even what the, you know, what the, what the client thought is the original scope, things inevitably become bigger, don't they? So you're right. But also just to have a different perspective and play kind of the devil advocate here, um, so I think it's a two different asks uh, and two different approaches, yeah? So one is when you have the conversation with the client and you're helping them to establish the tech side, actually, yeah? Especially with non-technical founders in a startups, yeah? So as example. So the same story applies. So these folks really will have sometimes trouble understanding what they need to do, where they need to move the needle. So if they need a product people, if they need inside a technical team, if they need uh, um, actual uh, developers inside, or if they need someone else. So, and 
how to apply the business models here is actually quite interesting. So I think this is where we really have a lot of experience helping these folks. But really when the things really shine is where uh, clients really understand what uh, uh, need to be done and really moving uh, together with us in the right direction. So this is uh, where, again, the product development is is not just one fixed thing. It's never one thing. It's typically a lot of features that need to be built. Um, and typically this will be a long conversation that we'll have uh, for many, many years to actually build a successful product. No one so far in this planet was able to build a successful product for version one. It's typically multiple, multiple iterations when you actually deliver a good product. Maybe it's pivot number 22 or something. Yeah, so it's you always need to improve. You always need to move uh, forward because of competitors, because of the market, because of new trends or whatever. You need to add new features always. And clients typically will will, will have this ask, especially in like B2B SaaS um, products. If you stop, you basically die. So um, this is really crucial part of creating the successful products. Right. And do you, so clients then, you know, different clients are different, different projects are different. If a client needs a project done, then of course you will get that done for them. If a pri- a client wants staffing, is that something you focus on so much? You know, the staff augmentation model, would you say, look, I can, f- I can find the best, whatever kind of full stack developer you need, uh, and that will be X amount plus my fee. Do you find that as a, a model that you work with? Is that scalable? How do you feel about that? I think it, uh, we, we work with this model, but uh, I think this model is is different. Um, so it's like if you're trying to find someone in, uh, uh, let's say, uh, mobile development, web development, full stack kind of things, yeah, it's a ways to do this. But... Um, this is, I think, really good scalable model. So it's like where the business models actually shines. And I really like this model where I think it's become an actual challenge from the client perspective if they really understand what they need to do. Because the point is, at this point, you just sell in the resources to this client and say like, hey, this is um, wherever number of developers and you deal with them. And you don't really care about the success of the product. And again, we can play this role or we can play a role. It's not only about the actual, like the folks that we hire. It's also about like the actual business part of the game here. So uh, that's why, again, we typically will mix these two. And sometimes we start with um, an actual like project-based approach and we move uh, to augmentation model down the line when we see that these customers actually can do this themselves. So this is where we typically again will switch to augmentation model, and this is what we find much more successful for the project results most of the cases. Right, got it, got it. Fantastic. And in terms of sourcing staff, where do you typically uh, dip from? You you are European yourself, I understand, and you have found a sort of honeypot of of fantastic developers in Europe. 
Yeah, so we do have multiple locations where we're hiring uh, in Europe, in Eastern Europe, also in Georgia, Armenia, um, these kind of places. We also have some folks uh, here in U.S. Uh, that we can utilize. Um, if we have some kind of compliance project that requires some type of uh, clearance or at least U.S. passports. So this is where we will uh, have this experience, uh, for example, when we're working with some fintech uh, local banks, for example, insurance companies, and also government uh, type of work. So this is where we will be focusing on these type of things. But again, most of the cases for the staffing, we will utilize the folks from um, uh, Europe, um, most of the cases. Right, right. And, you know, my the industry I'm in outsourcing and this podcast focuses on leveraging global employment. And of course, you know, um, in fact, basically everywhere is cheaper to hire people than Silicon Valley. You know, Silicon Valley is the peak in creativity, but it's also the peak in terms of dev costs. And, you know, it it can be super sensible to go outside of that, um, uh, that area to, to sort of get better staff. And especially with developers, I think where they can work, quite effectively remote and asynchronous and, you know, on their platform. So, um, but as an agency, so if you are providing staffing, then part of the, one of the most significant allures is that you can source staff cheaper. Whereas when you are a, an agency, it's not actually, that isn't necessarily a benefit to the client because as an agency, you want to try and maintain margins yourself. So if you are based in Silicon Valley, you're catering to Silicon Valley firms, the fact that you are getting the work done by someone from a cheaper location is kind of like a a back-end logistics that you manage and then you can accrue the sort of margins from that. Do do you see what I mean? So there are two different sort of playbooks in terms of what you're offering. How how does that um, sit with you and you know, where do you sort of um, sit in terms of promoting the fact that you provide uh, sort of global staffing solutions? So I think it's a big benefit of um, providing resources not from here. And in the same time, it's really big benefit to have some local folks here. And let me explain. So First of all, when we're providing services here in, in the agency model uh, to any businesses that located uh, here, um, not especially in Silicon Valley, but maybe, again, maybe in New York, maybe in LA, uh, they really like to see the price that really nice in terms of it's not like a local um employee or read. So it's much better to have this rate available for them. But uh, when we're talking about some local folks, um, it become really kind of expensive on hundreds of dollars uh, per hour. But really, uh, the margin is not so critically different there, uh, maybe a little bit more. But uh, the benefit there is sometimes you need this. Sometimes you need specific experts, and this is not, and especially in the eye, actually. So it's not just like you can find them anywhere. You basically find in the people, and after you decide on a price kind of thing, because you can find some folks that only maybe hundred people right now doing this, and you need this 
person and you really kind of ready to pay uh, uh, almost any price at this point because right. clients are asking you to find specifics there. And again, if you're providing, so it's a it's a different playbook compared to like providing multiple folks that um, are doing uh, uh, some kind of like a full stack development, for example. And again, uh, it, it's a benefit of our model, like a boutique type of approach comparing to uh, the model where you just provide multiple folks, et cetera. So I think probably they having a little bit uh, easier uh, approach uh, to getting the results and getting the margin. Uh, and it's always like a, not your own uh, playbook looks like a simple one. But in my case, uh, we're playing by, again, the specifics and by an actual expertise of the folks. So we finding people a little bit more expensive, but uh, the gating, again, a little bit more um, uh, for the projects, uh, for the hours, et cetera. Got it, got it. And then I assume if if there's a common skill, uh, you know, again, I, I don't speak the language, but, you know, sort of a, a basic WordPress front-end developer or something, um, would, you know, which is, you would assume then, there's more supply, it's more common. Would you, you know, as a business owner then seek out the cheapest option for that, obviously? Like, you know, you would not have preference to hire them in an expensive New York if you can hire them from a cheaper Eastern Europe. Is that sort of how you would sort of play the efficiencies? Yeah, so we, again, we playing absolutely at the open cart here to our clients so they can decide where the... Um resource will be located, uh, where the talent will be located. But in reality, this is uh, the conversation that we need to have with the client and decide what they really need. Because sometimes they would prefer to have someone that will do their WordPress or Sitecore or uh, Contentful product uh, here in States. Because of time zone, because of like language barriers and a lot of other things that really affect this. But again, you're absolutely right. For the more common things, uh, most of the cases, I would say like more than 90% of the cases, clients will be fine to have this outsource outside of uh, states. Again, when it's like comes to specific requirements like security, they don't want data to leave the United States. This is where we'll say, okay, so let's find someone here that will be specifically having this type of access and we'll have specific uh, type of systems there to provide this access. Got it. Got it. Fantastic. So AI, gosh, um, how do how do you as a business evolve? You know, and it must be a lot of pressure. I, I once had some sage advice from sort of quite an elderly gentleman who was a bit of a mentor to me. And he was a lawyer and he said, be very careful about industries and where there's a high redundancy of knowledge because, you know, and he was saying about law very little changes and it's very slow to change, which means that you can sort of learn something once, become very good at it, uh, you know, and, and then it's there for maybe 20, 30 years. Whereas technology, it's it's like grains of sand, isn't it? You know, and it's always changing. And if you don't stay current, it's, um, uh, you know, it's to your peril. Now, the um, technology, AI, it's only sort of three to six months old, isn't it? And then you must have a lot of clients sort of banging down your door saying, look, now I want AI, I want integrations, I want a chatbot. 
that's that's intense, yeah. And do you find that you then have to sort of drop everything and change your business model to suit the latest trends? Yeah, um, thanks for this question. Uh, actually, yeah, is a little bit older, I would say. Uh, it's uh, more than sixty years old. Uh, the modern, uh, what you call the AI, is uh, basically LMs models. Uh, they actually, uh, the LM was introduced uh, in 2018, 2019. Uh, but right now, again, um, <clears throat> it's a little bit different playbooks here. So first of all, so we do different AI project for last six years. We started with uh, most of the things that we actually worked with uh, in computer vision. Originally, so different like object recognition, different character recognition, document recognition, and all these kind of things. And the uh, everyone like speaking right now about like hype of AI, etc. This is just a different set of models that were there. And again, just because of ChatGPT, everyone kind of like uh, tried to use this, and they really get to understand how this works on a like higher level at least. So this has become really helpful, but again, um, AI is really kind of not a new type of technology. And uh, the machine learning also is not new. And people, again, <clears throat> done uh, a lot of work in this area for the um, last 10 years. Uh, but uh, right now, again, uh, what's happening is really interesting just because every day it's something new. And if you forget to check the news, basically, uh, and new papers, etc. you typically will miss. Uh, and you will have the conversations like, yeah, you, you missed this kind of things, etc. And we had one conversation with a client uh, uh, only a couple of weeks ago when it's like, hey, uh, we're estimating the product and we're thinking how to build it. And uh, they're like, hey, uh, you know, uh, it's actually a simpler way to do this and check this tool. And was like kind of surprised because client knew about this thing, and um, we actually missed this. Uh, and it was the tool that was released like three days ago. Mm. So basically, um, <clears throat> and it's really changing the game and changing the functionality and what actually possible, which is like absolutely crazy. But so we're moving in this space where really, like it's days of the innovations. It's not like really hours. It's not really, uh, sorry, it's not years, it's not months, it's days, basically. So we really need to be on top of our game and really move really, really fast. And the expertise is also different. So it's what uh, was the ask uh, in December when um, uh, GPT 3.5 was released. So this was a different ask back then. And now, again, it's more and more things that are coming to market. And it's so absolutely crazy how many new, wonderful open source models released. And seeing how big companies trying to really move in the same direction, but really making this slow process because they cannot do things in the fastest open source. Uh, they do have a lot of resources. But uh, it's kind of interesting to see who will win in this case because right now I don't think I will be able to bet on anyone because really it's so uh, wonderfully 
big uh, innovations that happen in every day. So what was possible yesterday is um, kind of like old story already. So yeah, you're absolutely right. The technology now become something that uh, moving too quickly to really follow this and really almost impossible to actually provide as a, like a, any kind of learning course in universities. Yeah, it's it, it's impossible to keep up. I mean, you you are absolutely correct in that AI, AI has been developed over the last 60 years, but undoubtedly it reached a tipping point about three to six months ago when ChatGPT was released. You know, in 2023 alone, there have been 91 deals. I'm just reading a, um, an update from CB Insights. There have been 91 deals in 2023, uh, VC deals, uh, worth $14.1 billion, you know, and in 2021, there would have been zero deals. And I assume Y Combinator at the moment is filled with uh, AI startups. You know, it, it's just captured the imagination of business. It's hundreds of, of them, actually. Yeah, hundreds. It's like you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. probably more than a thousand deals for this specific year. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, what, the, what that creates then, there's all these sort of startups, which are little seeds in the ground. But then also, I assume every business, every sort of relatively mature business, is thinking, gosh, we probably need to integrate this into our services. And, and they're reaching out to you saying, you know, that new fandangled toy, can you, you know, implement it into our business? And um, so, you know, it, it, it's good, isn't it? It's, it's kind of a gold rush. But th- six months ago, it did not exist. And now suddenly, you know, you need to have the expertise, then you need to have all enough capable staffing. And as you say, like, you know, there's just not that many people that are focused on it for that long. So staffing is in short supply. It becomes as, it's just like a gold rush, isn't it? Which which is good and bad, but uh, gosh. Um, have, so, you know, you on the ground, have you seen a big spike in interest from clients saying, you know, we want this, we want that. Can you do this? Can you do that? Oh yeah. So we having this every week. So in a lot of cases, big folks trying to play this role of like, hey, how we can implement this. And again, in most cases, uh, half of this conversation is really uh, to ex- and actually explain it to the people what is actually possible. And again, the interesting part today is like, what was possible yesterday could be a little bit different tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And um, we having this conversation is like, for example, we had a uh, talk with one folks, uh, in early March, yeah? And we have another conversation with them this month. So this was completely two different things because like in March, we was telling them like, hey, it will be like, you probably will spend around like three, five million dollars on this, etc., And it will be a long process, etc. Now we're like, hey, uh, here's open source model. Yeah, we probably need to tweak it, but we can launch it less than two months. And this become like an actual real thing that could be done Um, because we can just take what already developed and move much, much faster and use much smaller data sets to actually provide this learning. And I think this will advance. And I really like interesting to see this because uh, sometimes you can say like, Hey, you did this initial thing and you spent millions of dollars and uh, now you can do this with like uh, 10 times smaller budget. It's wonderful. But again, in some, cases it would be like hey why you made this decision half a year ago or something but i think it's like moving in the right direction because in a lot of cases in these developments 
a lot of things is not about like, hey, let's take this fancy model and let's implement it and everything will be good. In a lot of cases, there's a lot of work that needs to be done around this model to actually allow this to work, to collect the data, create the back office correctly. And like a lot of things that not really so like simple to do. So it's not just like, hey, let's put our uh, Excel spreadsheets to uh, this model and everything will be wonderful. Typically, it's much more complicated project uh, to actually allow the data to be processed and actually creating something usable out of this. But again, um, so many project that was was doing for the last um, six years is now like completely could be done differently, much faster. Uh, but because they already have a lot of data prepared and a lot of things ready, it's like really fast transition. So they can spend uh, really less budget on running GPUs and running the systems and all this uh, become much faster uh, for the delivery to the actual clients on end. Yeah, it <clears throat> discourages me from really being the pioneer on a lot of this stuff because, you know, I... I believe as well in the next three months, there's going to be incredible innovation and six months is going to be incredible innovation. And so, you know, if you, if you kind of um, buckling things together and spending a ton of money and taking a ton of time to do it, then that technology is probably going to be super old by the time you get it to market. And as you say, there's going to be either an open source or an off the shelf product that does exactly what you've just sort of labored to do. And I don't know if it's really been like this before, but in this space, it just seems to be so, so cutting edge and moving so fast that I'm just kind of like, well, let's just wait for six months because what I, you know, and I have a few things I'd like to build, but it's like, I, I kind of, I'm pretty sure in six months there will be something off, sh- off the shelf for $30 a month that will do exactly that. You know, it's, um, it's a funny environment, you yeah? know? You're absolutely right, and it probably will, uh, but you can be uh, the founder of this thing and you can raise funds to do this now. I think in a lot of cases, this is a question of like, do you want to be a pioneer and really create this um, and define the market yourself? Because in most cases, you can, and this is now like actually a wonderful time um, that like I think is a little bit different uh, from all all other hypes that uh, was there. I mean, it's really funny to say this because all hypes, people saying like the same thing. Uh, and that now time is like, today is different comparing to what bef- was before. Like uh, you remember the crypto boom of 2017, uh, 2018, and probably uh, the latest NFT boom that like we'll be like doing NFT project, etc., etc. So which is again, wonderful, but it's a different playbooks. So I think creating the good product uh, that really solving the customer problem makes total sense. And this is where value will be laying out. Again, a lot of product that just using ChatGPT API and creating something in top is typically not the sustainable solution until they really grow out of this and create the separate value out of this. But when you can provide the product that will be really useful for the folks um, that using this and or provide the solution that they will be happy to use. Because again, business is not about better in terms of like the result in most cases. Again, maybe uh, this type of 
product will get you there, but this product uh, will get you there, etc. So it could be different the results. But in most cases, again, uh, you will be continuing using the product for a long time. And if it will provide the value to you, you will continue to use this. Not even again if it's uh, other competition that exists, etc. So this why is really critical not to stop development of any kind of product, but really advance and provide this. Because if you have a paying customer uh, user base and you have these daily active users, etc., you can monetize based on this, uh, and you can really go forward with whatever is happening. So this is, I think, the most crucial piece to understand. So it's not always. Uh, makes sense to wait. Sometimes it makes sense to play. But again, if you're just trying to implement something and you low budget, yeah, probably wait and you're fine. But if you want to build really wonderful products and really lead the market, now is the time. Yeah, and the, and the downside of waiting is is you know things are moving so fast and and so you don't want to be the guy getting left behind. You're almost forced to to keep up with the pack. Yeah, otherwise you know and that's the competitive tension in all of this. Vadim, fascinating conversation, and uh, there's so much more we could cover. We should try and get you back for another conversation because you know there's 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 concerns that AI will take over the world. There's concerns that AI will um, destroy employment. There's certainly concerns that AI will damage the outsourcing industry. Um, but you know, let's leave all of that for another time. It's just such a vast, vast topic. And as you say, you know, AI has been around for sixty years, so it's not actually that new and large language models, LLMs probably aren't going to be the AI that's going to take over the world, but it's certainly a uh, fascinating, fascinating subject. But Dean, I encourage everyone to, to reach out, to have that conversation and, you know, it really can sort of transform businesses. If people want to learn more about Difco or get in touch, how can they do that? Yeah. So first of all, I'm sure that AI will not destroy the world. I think we'll create something better that will allow us to grow. Uh, it definitely will shake the industry for sure. This is uh, actually the good thing, I think, uh, in reality. We will definitely will we'll try to speak more about this. So um, if you want to reach out, so feel free to find us uh, at uh, our, our website. So it's divka.us. And uh, link will be in the show notes. And also you can uh, find me on LinkedIn or Twitter at uh, Vadim Peskov. Um, and we'll be happy to talk with uh, anyone that's interested to, uh, to learn more about how to build AI teams and really uh, push the development for an actual like development teams using AI. So we're really focusing on these things. And thanks again for inviting. It was a wonderful conversation. And uh, I think this is a right thing that we discussed. Uh, thanks for these wonderful questions. That was Vadim Peskov. He is the CEO of Difco. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to ask us anything, just drops an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next. That